We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. Uh, so those of you who uh, don't know me, um, my name is Catherine and I'm a member of uh, Centrepoint Church. I am a secondary school teacher and teach uh, performing arts, uh, mainly dance, but also uh, teach some drama. Um, I've been teaching for over five years now, and um, I'm also assistant head of year 10, uh, which means that I get the privilege of dealing with 14 to 15 year olds who go through behaviour and emotional challenges, which there are many, as I'm sure uh, you can imagine. I have uh, two lively girls who have had with my husband, Chris, and we've recently celebrated 11 years of marriage. Woohoo, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so this morning I'm going to uh, be preaching you from the Bible and I'm going to be preaching from the book of Ruth. So you might want to start to turn to that now. We're going to be moving around the book throughout the morning. But it might be this morning that you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to borrow one of ours. So if that's the case, if you pop your hand in the air, uh, one of our stewards will come and bring a Bible to you. And it might be that the reason your hand is up is that you don't own your own Bible. Then we would love to bless you with one. So keep this one as a free gift from us. So when me and Chris first got married, um, I believed in that line, he could do no wrong. And uh, after living together for a few weeks, I realised that that was very much not true. And um, there was one uh, particular occasion when I was walking into our bedroom and I noticed around the laundry basket were piles of his dirty laundry. And I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. They're near it, but not in it. So I decided that I would confront Chris as to the reason why. And he told me that unlike normal people who put their dirty laundry in the basket as they walk past, he liked to pretend that he was Michael Jordan and would stand at the opposite side of the room and try and go for a long shot. <laughs> when he saw the uh, horror on my face, uh, he quickly came up with this line, but babe, I get more in the basket than I don't. <laughs> Anyway, from this point on, he promised me that this would not happen again and that his laundry would always end up in the basket. And I'll leave it for you to decide as to whether you think he kept that promise or not. <laughs> but the reason I tell you this story is because, as human beings, we make promises all the time. And we have promises made to us all the time. And, you know, we promise things like, oh, I'm going to start a diet on Monday. And then it gets to Monday, it gets to about 11, you want a biscuit, and so you think, oh, I'll start tomorrow. Or you promise not to bring work home and you have a mega busy day and you end up staying at work extra late or you bring all your work home anyway. Southern Western trains promise that their service will get better and then there is another train cancellation. We promise till death do us part in marriage and then it gets tough and the promise gets broken. Fundamentally, as humans, we can't don't have to think for very long before we can think of a time where we've given a promise to someone and broken it or someone's given a promise to us and they've broken it the problem is this builds up a mindset in us that promises are from a human perspective so when we think about god we don't think about god's promises from a godly eternal perspective we think about it from our own human experience so my question this morning is are you truly trusting and living in the promises of god are you truly trusting and living in the promises of God? This morning, we're going to be in the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at the three main characters in the story. 
and we're going to look at how they responded to the promises of God, how their response can challenge but also encourage us. To give you a bit of background, the book is in the Old Testament at a time when Israel had judges. So Israel is the land in which God's people lived and the name of God's people is the Israelites. And the book of Ruth is written by Samuel, who was Hannah's son, who Chris spoke about right at the beginning of the series. So it predates Israel's first King Saul. And in the book of Judges, we see and hear good and bad decisions that judges constantly made as they ruled Israel. And in the middle of all this chaos, we get this incredible story about three seemingly insignificant people. It's complete contrast to Judges. Judges is all about nation, good, bad, war. And then right in the middle, we get this family story and about a family's stories, about families' highs and lows. In right in this story, right in the midst of chaos, Samuel is reminding us that God's promises are not just for the nation of Israel, but they're for us as individuals. And so he tells us this story and it helps to highlight what the future is for Israel, what the future King David will be, but more importantly, who the future King Jesus is going to be. As uh, I don't think you want to listen to me uh, read the uh, whole book of Ruth, um, what I thought I'd do is I'll tell you the story uh, with a little animation on the screen. So if you look at the screen and I'm going to, you know, ad lib the story as I go. Okay, so in Ruth, there are three main characters, uh, one being Naomi, who's the widow. We have Ruth, who is a Moabite, and Boaz, who is the farmer. And the story's written over four chapters, each building from one another. The first chapter starts in the days of Judges. And this is a particularly difficult time for the Israelites because it's a season in which they are facing a famine. And we hear about one family, Elimelech, Naomi, Malion and Kilion, their children, who live in Bethlehem, which is known as the House of Breath. Due to the famine, they decide to move to the land of Moab, which is a forbidden land. And whilst they're there, Elimelech passes away. But his two sons decide to marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. But they soon die, and so Naomi's left with the two widowed daughter-in-laws. Due to her grief, Naomi decides she can no longer take living in Moab and decides to head back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. She encourages her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to head back to their mother and father, which was practice of the day. Orpah goes back to her mother and father, but Ruth is completely loyal. She decides to go back to Israel with Naomi, and she says these lines, Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so they head to Israel. When they arrive in Israel, they have no food and no one to fend for themselves. And due to it being harvest season, Ruth decides to go and glean in the harvest fields, which means picked up leftover wheat or sheaves that are left by the farmers. It so happens that she is gleaning in Boaz's field. Now, Boaz is known as a mighty man of valour, someone who has a noble character. He's someone who is loyal and knows the law of God and follows that law. He shows generosity to Ruth and encourages his farmers to drop extra sheaves of wheat so she has more to collect. And in doing that, he also prays for her and also commends her for her faith. When uh, 
Ruth gets back home, having collected all of the harvest, she tells Naomi that she met Boaz, and Bo uh, Naomi rejoices because Boaz is the kingsman redeemer or the family redeemer. In Jewish cultural practice, if someone was a widow, they were to marry the next male family member in line in order to be redeemed and to be protected. And Boaz was this person. He was her kingsman redeemer. So Naomi comes up with a plan to encourage Ruth to undress out of her morning clothes, to put on some perfume and some nice clothes and head down to the harvest field because there's going to be a festival to celebrate the end of harvest. Her plan is to encourage uh, Ruth to tell Boaz of their need and for Boaz to, to redeem them. Boaz is asleep next to his harvest field to protect it from robbers and whilst he's there Ruth uncovers his feet and startles and he awakes. She then says these weird lines and says, will you put the cloak of your garment over me? Which effectively means she's asking him to marry her and to redeem her family. Boaz is amazed at her noble character and because of this he decides that he will redeem her and that he will marry her. Once he said yes, Ruth heads back to tell Naomi and they celebrate and praise God that Boaz is willing to redeem them. But in order to redeem them, Boaz needs to go to the town elders because there's another man in line that is due to marry Ruth and therefore inherit the land. This other man is a closer relative, but when he hears that he would have to marry a Moabite woman, he rejects the inheritance and turns it down. Whereas Boaz, he knows that Ruth is a Moabite woman and he will not allow her reputation to tar him. And so he marries her and they have a son called Obed. And they celebrate and rejoice along with all the people in Bethlehem because Naomi is also restored because she is given effectively a grandson. And so there's celebration and joy at the end of this story. <laughs> so hopefully that helps you have a bit of an understanding of the story and is a little bit more exciting than me reading the whole book of Ruth to you. And uh, the first character that I want to look at this morning is Naomi, the prodigal daughter. In Ruth 1 verse 1, it says, In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live in the country of Moab. Right at the start of this story, we're introduced to this family. Elimelech literally means God is my king. And Naomi means my delight. In Jewish culture, the meaning of names is massive. And so what we can gather from this is that Elimelech and Naomi knew and were brought up to know God. They understood who he was. They understood his promises. They would have been brought up to know the story of Moses and the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the fact that God provided manna, and then countless stories after that about how God had shown his goodness to the Israelites. They would have known the law, which is known as the Ten Commandments, and they would have known some key promises about their heritage, the promise that Abraham discovered about God's character, that he would be Jehovah Jireh, which means God provides. Or from Joseph, when he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But not only that, they lived in a place called Bethlehem, which was the promised land. And Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. It is a promised land, a promised land that's meant to be a breadbasket for all the Israelites. But having known all of this, a difficult season has hit and famine is in the land. Instead of holding on to God's promises, his goodness, as a family, they choose to walk away and head to Moab. They reject the promised land of God 
the promised land that he has given them and therefore rejected the promises that God has spoken over them as a nation and as a family. That sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? And you may be thinking, hang on a minute, they're just making a sensible decision. People have got to eat. Their family have got to eat. It was a wise decision to move to another land. However, they were moving to the land of Moab and Moab were enemies of the Israelites. In fact, God detested the Moabites. Their actions were completely detestable to him. Not only did they move to an enemy land and to a land that was detestable, their actions facilitated their sons to marry Moabite women, which goes against all of God's plans. In Deuteronomy 23, it says this, No Anamite or Moabite or any of their descendants to the 10th generation may enter the assembly of God. That's God's viewpoint on Moabite people, that they should not be entered into the Israelite community at all. So it's massive. It's a big deal. They've left the promises of God and that's led to compromise after compromise after compromise and ultimately in the death of Elimelech and Naomi's two sons. The parallel to this is that we too can be like Naomi and her husband. When things get tough, we can take things into our own hands rather than trust God, especially when a difficult season comes. We might pray or repeat those famous Bible verses that we love that encourage us, but then God doesn't come through. He doesn't come through in the time or the way that we want him to come through. And so we use our human strength to do God's work for him. Maybe we rely on our education. Maybe we rely on our financial resources, our jobs, our families, our homes, or maybe our own talents. And we refuse to rely or trust in God and his promises. It sometimes means that we compromise in situations as we take God's promises into our own hands. Perhaps we don't trust God with our finances and like Elimelech and Naomi, we run after the treasures of this world. They left the house of bread, the place where they were called to run after their own financial security. Where are you placing your financial security? Perhaps you don't place God at the centre of your marriage and your relationships and so you stop pursuing him or give up on pursuing him in your marriage. And like Elimelech's sons, you've pursued ungodly relationships. Perhaps you've had a call on your life, but it's hard work to get there and you've had setbacks and so you've given up from your call altogether and walked away from it like Naomi and Elimelech, who were called to be in Bethlehem, but they chose to use the external circumstances of a famine as an excuse to run away from God. Where have you allowed external pressures to mean that you have run away from God? Or maybe we've known the love and the promises of God, and then something traumatic has happened. You've rejected him because you feel like God has let you down. Perhaps like Naomi, someone near you has been unwell, or has passed away, and so you have completely given up on him. The problem with Elimelech and Naomi was that they were viewing God's promises from a human perspective, as opposed to an internal perspective. And we can do the same. We can think too much of God's promises and forget that actually God always keeps his promises. It's very much in his nature that he will never give up on us. In 2 Peter 3, verses 8 to 9, it says these words, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you know that when things get tough for you personally, it doesn't mean God's promises have failed. It means he has an opportunity to bless you in a new type of fruitfulness. Let me say that again. Do you know that when things get difficult for you personally, it doesn't mean God's promises have failed. It means he has an opportunity to bless you in a new type of fruitfulness. Difficult situations in our lives will come. It's inevitable. But I would rather go through a difficulty trusting in God and his promises as ultimately, underneath all the turmoil that external circumstances can provide, when we trust in God, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. (coughs) But what's amazing is that the story doesn't end there. That's only like chapter one, and not even the whole of chapter one. (laughs) Because at this point, we get to a point in the story where Naomi takes initiative to go back to the promised land. In Ruth 1, verse 6, it says this, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to turn home. The prodigal daughter is returning home. Naomi has made the choice to go back to the promised land, to start to trust again in the promises of God. This moment is an act of repentance. She's still feeling better. She's still feeling hurt. But yet she chooses in this moment to repent and to trust God, even though she doesn't have all the answers. Do you know this morning that you too can take a moment to repent for the time where you've taken things into your own hands? Or where you've compromised? This morning you can come back to a God who stands there with his arms open wide. You too can be a prodigal son or daughter this morning. In uh, March 2014, uh, there were three students um, from the New York State University and they needed to buy a sofa for their student accommodation. And so they head to a Salvation Army store and uh, they take it home and they sit on it and it's really uncomfortable, it's kind of bumpy. So they take off the cushion covers and they find an envelope containing $4,000. But there's still other bumps in the sofa and so they hurriedly unzip every single cushion cover and all the covers until they find several envelopes packed with money. They yielded a total £40,000, The students were honest and on the back of one of these envelopes there was an address of an old lady and so they returned all the money to this 90-year-old lady who had chosen to put all her life savings hidden in this sofa. There was a daughter who chose to throw this sofa away, having absolutely no idea that her mother had chosen to store her life savings inside it. It's a true story. And like this moment now in the story of Ruth, we have a moment where Naomi is returning to Israel and she gives her son's widows the opportunity to go back to their homeland and Orpah decides to return home. Like the daughter who threw away the sofa, Orpah did not grasp the value of redemption that could be found in Israel. She decided to settle for something far less than the promised land and the promises that God provides. But Ruth, she's a whole other story. She says in Ruth 1 verse 16, Do not urge me to turn back away from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you will die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Ruth the outsider has a completely different mindset to Orpah. And I find that quite fascinating because up till now, Naomi's not really been a great witness, has she, of the Christian faith or to follow Jesus. If anything, she's completely run away from God and all his promises. But yet there's a moment here that Ruth can see in Naomi's repentance that inspires her to think that whatever Naomi's going back for must be worth it. And so Ruth, she makes that decision. Yeah, sure. I'll trust God. Your God will be my God. I'll go back. I'll go with you to Israel. The thing is is that Ruth not only would have been a widow, she would have been a complete outsider. Not just because she was foreign. In fact, she would have been an outsider because she was a completely hated race. The Moabite race was completely detestable to God and the Israelites. It was a race that came through the incest of Lot and his daughter and a race that practised child sacrifice. And because of her race's depravity, any children she bore to the tenth generation would be banned from coming anywhere near the Lord's tabernacle or the Lord's temple, place where God dwelt. So in this moment, Ruth's declaration of faith is immensely costly. She will be leaving all she knows in order to discover who God is. She'll be leaving everything in order to discover who God is. She trusts that whatever Naomi is going back for in Bethlehem is worth it. What she lacks in ethnicity, she makes up for in faith. And I know for me personally, throughout my Christian walk, there have been things that I've held on to that have stopped me discovering who God is. What about you? What do you need to let go of this morning? Is it pride? Is it a worldview? Is it sin and selfishness? Ultimately, we all hold on to things that we need to let go in order to discover fully who God is. In this moment, Ruth is not only making a step of faith, she's also declaring God as Lord. Her whole mindset is willing to change, to discover and to see who he is. This morning, there is power in the name of Jesus and he can break those things in your life that you're holding on to, those things in your life that are preventing you from fully discovering him. And so this morning, when we get towards the end, we're going to have an opportunity to just declare Jesus Lord over our life again. But Ruth's declaration of faith and sacrificial giving is backed up by an act of faith. When Naomi and Ruth arrived back to Bethlehem, they would have had absolutely nothing. They were in a male-dominated world, completely different from today. And so widows needed to fend for themselves, as did foreigners, which was what Ruth was. Not only that, gossip would have been rife. Oh, look, there's Naomi. She's come back. Didn't she reject the promises of God? Oh, and who's that? That Moabite woman that she's brought with her. Gossip would have been everywhere. No one would have wanted to put shame on themselves by helping out Ruth and Naomi. And this goes to show how uh, the Bethlehem was at that time and how the Israelites had actually rejected God because actually there was laws that God set about supporting the widower and the foreigner. And in Deuteronomy 24, it says this. When harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, 
Do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. It's harvest season and Ruth has taken that step of faith to go and glean from the harvest field. But did you notice in chapter 2 verse 3 it says this, She went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Have you noticed the sarcasm that the writer puts in that line? As it turned out, love it. Like it turned out, God did it. God had a plan. The writer never, ever mentions God. In fact, it's one of the only books in the Bible where God is not mentioned. But the whole way through, Samuel is alluding to the fact that God is sovereign over all things. He doesn't need to mention God because it's obvious. God is part of this plan. Ultimately, in this book, he's reminding us that when difficulty hits, God is sovereign over it all. That God has a plan. God has a plan ultimately to restore us back to him. Ruth had no idea that arriving on this field was ultimately the beginning of God's awesome redemption plan for her. I uh, don't know about you and um, if you've ever felt like an outsider before. Um, There's been many times where I felt like an outsider in life. And uh, there was one specific time I remember uh, was in 2017. As a family, we were on a mission trip uh, to Turkey. And uh, we were staying in Ankara, which is the capital of Turkey. um, And we were travelling further east uh, to go to Cappadocia. And those of you that are, uh, know your Bibles well will know that Cappadocia is the place where all the Christians in the early church uh, ran to to hide when they're being persecuted after Jesus' death. And uh, we had a great time looking around and uh, we then got back into this minibus and we travelled many hours uh, back towards Ankara. Um, the problem was is that we were on a main road and nothing really happened to pass this main road every now and then there'll be a little petrol station uh, and an occasional village and an occasional farm but there's nothing more really there and the people that lived there were uh, traditional Turkish people and they were very strong Muslims and uh, as it happens it was a hot day in Turkey and uh, the van broke down because it overheated. and uh, we were stuck on the side of this road uh, with nothing nearby at all apart from fields but there was this tiny little petrol station uh, on the other side of the road Anyway, we managed to uh, have a conversation with someone there um, who then showed us uh, down the back of an industrial state um, to what was effectively a Turkish equivalent of a builder's calf. And um, in this calf, there was uh, some guys there that obviously been working, that were mechanics. Um, They gave us some food. um, They spoke to us. They were very generous. They arranged for us to get to a local town by driving us so we could catch a bus back to Ankara. And then not only that, they also helped us to arrange a pickup truck that would then take the minibus back to Ankara for us. I have to say, I've never in my life felt completely out of my comfort zone, as in a moment like that. Completely outsider, completely different culture. It wasn't okay for me to speak to a man um, which, again, I found really difficult because, you know, how do you, how do you do that when you need to know where the toilets are and the only people there are men? <laughs> In that moment, I just felt like a complete outsider. I felt completely out of my comfort zone. And yet these people, they didn't need to show us any kindness or any mercy at all, but yet they chose to. And this is a little bit like Boaz. Boaz did not need to show Ruth any kindness at all. In fact, the rest of his nation wouldn't have done but yet his character speaks volumes about how we should treat outsiders in our culture. 
ultimately, Boaz is a great example in this moment of how Jesus chooses to treat us as outsiders. Treat us as detestable people because we're sinful. And so for me, actually, my inspiring character is not Ruth. My inspiring character is Boaz. Because Boaz points us the whole time to who Jesus is. So we're going to quickly look at Boaz and how he helps restore Ruth. So Boaz is the family redeemer. And the first thing to notice about Boaz is that he's described as a man of standing. He's like a man of noble character. So the first thing that's described about him is, is his character. He not only that, he greets all his workers with a blessing in the morning. May the Lord bless you. Even though the rest of his nation had forgotten who God was, he chose to acknowledge and declare God and his goodness. He was also a man who followed the law. And we can see this because he allows Ruth to glean from his field. doesn't matter about the shame about having a Moabite widow gleaning on your field brings. No, it's God's law. God says the foreigner and the widow, I'm going to let her glean. But he is also generous. He doesn't just let her glean the scraps. He tells his men, drop extra sheaths so that she can collect more, have extra food and extra bundles when she goes home to Naomi. Boaz is a righteous man. And this points to Jesus because Jesus is righteous. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Like Boaz, he lived a righteous life. In fact, like better than Boaz, he lived the perfect life in order that one day he could pay the price for our sins. But Jesus didn't just come to fulfil the law, he came to be generous. When he was here on earth, he went out of his way to bless others. He healed people, he restored people, he forgave people, he welcomed people like the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He touched people like the lepers, the blind the lame. Jesus came as a righteous man, perfect in every way, but also as a generous man. He gave way more than just his righteous life. But Boaz doesn't stop there. He could have stopped there. He could have said, well, you know, I'm just going to provide for Ruth. That's all I've got to do technically by law, so I'm going to do that. But he goes one step further. He chooses to accept and invite Ruth. And in chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Boaz replied, I've been told, that's what he's saying to Ruth, about all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and your homeland and come to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by God, the Lord of Israel, under whom's wings you have come to take refuge. In that moment, Boaz is accepting Ruth. He knows at that point that she's a Moabite woman, that she's a complete outsider, and yet he welcomes her in. I know all that you've done, where you've come from. doesn't matter. I'm choosing to accept you anyway. In this moment, the writer is reminding us that God is going to send someone who is going to extend his love and acceptance to sinners. In this moment, we're pointed to Jesus and how he extends and shows his love to us. But also, Boaz invites. When he says that line, under whose wings you come to take refuge, there's an invitation in that moment for Ruth to be redeemed by Boaz. He's inviting her. 
Did you know that Jesus also invites you to be redeemed? Like Boaz, Jesus won't force it on you. It's your choice. Do you want to accept him? Do you want to know what it means to be truly living in the promises of God? Because you can do that by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour this morning. No matter how sinful or how bad you think you are, you are not too far for God to reach you. He sent Jesus to live the perfect life so you don't have to. He sent Jesus to die the perfect death and to rise again three days later, having conquered sin and death, all for you, so that you could be redeemed. The choice is, how are you going to respond? How's Ruth going to respond? At the end of the harvest season, it was normal for everyone to have a massive feast to celebrate the hard work and to celebrate all the produce that has been gathered together. And we have this moment where there is a feast and Boaz is celebrating with all his workers and we got Ruth's response. And it's a little bit weird. Let's have a read. It says in chapter 3. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. He did this to protect it from robbers. Ruth approached quietly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled Boaz and he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. That's so weird, isn't it? Don't you think? <laughs> but we have to understand some of our Bible knowledge to see that this is an amazing prophetic picture of the coming Messiah. Did you know that the words, corner of your garment, are the same words that come from what Boaz uses to bless Ruth in chapter 2, when he says, the God of Israel under whom wings you have come to take refuge. And then she uses the words, corner of your garment. It's the same translation. In fact, you need to read it in its original form to be able to fully understand that. But not only that, these words are used prophetically throughout the Bible to prophesy the coming messiah and particularly in malachi 4 verse 2 where malachi prophesies that healing redemption will flow out of the wings of the coming messiah again and again throughout the old testament you will see wings redemption healing coming out flowing out of the wings of the coming messiah in this moment ruth is saying i want you boaz to redeem me She has no idea in this moment that she's ultimately pointing to a pathetic picture that the Messiah is coming to redeem us as individuals. So the question is this morning, will you be like Ruth and accept Jesus' invitation to be redeemed? And it might not be that you need to be redeemed for the first time. It might be that you've walked away from God and you need to come back and go, yes, God, actually, I want you to be Lord over my life again. In Ruth choosing and accepting Boaz's invitation to be redeemed, Boaz goes ahead and redeems her. Do you know, it wasn't his place to redeem her. That was another man's job, another man's responsibility. But yet he chose to do it anyway. There was someone else closer in the family line, but he chose to do it. Not only that, when he redeems her, Boaz gives Ruth a completely new identity. 
in Boaz marrying Ruth, the refugee and the widow, who was completely detestable, she's now given a brand new identity. And for us to fully grasp her identity, we need to skip to Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. At the start of the New Testament, it says this, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. She's only one of four women in the whole genealogy of Jesus to be mentioned. One of four. That is how much her dignity and her value has been completely restored. But not only has her identity been restored, she's also given an inheritance. She's come to Israel with nothing. She had nothing to offer Boaz at all. But yet, he gives her an inheritance. She inherits what he inherits too. But do you know what I think is even more amazing in this story? It's not all about Ruth being redeemed. It's also about Naomi. The prodigal daughter who knew all about God, chose to reject him, is also restored and redeemed in this moment. When Obed was born, the book of Ruth says, Naomi has a son because Obed would have been classed as Ruth's dead husband's grandson. Oh, sorry, Naomi's dead husband's grandson. And so therefore, it would have restored the whole line of Naomi and Elimelech and her husband's name. And so she too is given an, another inheritance, another moment where she's given a completely new identity. Do you know there are countless amounts of times that we can come back to God? It's not once, not twice. We can keep messing up and we can come back again and again and again. And God's response is the same. I love you. I'm here. I accept you. So Boaz points us to Jesus. <coughs> Jesus chooses to redeem you. Jesus chose to leave heaven, to come down to earth, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death and to rise again three days later. Jesus gives you a completely new identity. We're detestable to God, which can kind of seem quite harsh because we come from Surrey, you know, and every, every time I, I talk to my friends, they're like, oh, you live in Surrey now. But even though we live in Surrey, we're still detestable to God because we're sinful human beings. And so he chose to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. But not only that, he also chose to give you a new identity. When we put our trust in Jesus, we become a child of God. We become righteous. I think that's amazing. I think it's so easy as Christians to get, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Do you understand how amazing it is? You're a child of God if you put your trust in Jesus this morning. But not only that, Jesus also gives you his inheritance. He gives you eternal life. He goes on and gives and gives and just keeps on giving. I absolutely love this story of Ruth and Boaz because ultimately in the midst of massive nation wars, in the midst of a nation doubting the God and his promises, we get this amazing story where God is reminding us that his promises are always true, that his promises will come into fruition. The Messiah that is promised to Abraham right at the beginning and then we have all this chaos he's then promising it again through this intimate story of Boaz, Ruth and Naomi and then we know the ending because we've got the New Testament all this whole book points a complete picture to the fact that Jesus is our great redeemer and that God is going to fulfill his promises and so it means this morning when you're doubting God's promises 
you can know that he's already fulfilled some of them by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. How much more can he fulfill in your life this morning? So much more. The question is, is are you willing to trust in his promises again? Are you willing to stand with your arms open wide and say, God, I trust you with my life, even when I've messed up? Could the band come back up, please? I asked you this question this morning. Are you living and trusting in the promises of God? Are you like Naomi, who has known the promises of God but have walked away? Difficult times have hit and you struggle with a lack of faith. Would you know what? This morning you can have a time to come and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life again. To come and repent for where you've got things wrong. To come and repent for where you've not trusted him completely. Or are you someone like Ruth who has no idea about the promises of God but you want to take that first step of faith and say, Lord, I trust you. Will you be in my life? And so what I'm going to do is we're going to take a minute to pray, first of all, for those of us who maybe want to put our trust in Jesus for the first time or again. And so what I'd like to do is just ask you just to close your eyes while we take that moment to pray. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to say a prayer. It's just a simple prayer that simply admits that you are sinful, that you get things wrong, that you trust and believe that Jesus dying on the cross is enough for you and that you want to put your trust in him. And so as I say this prayer, maybe you just want to say it in your heart. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I know that I am completely sinful, that I get things wrong all the time. But Lord God, I trust that you set your son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and to rise again, to set me free so that I could be redeemed. And so this morning, I want to commit my life to you. I want to say, Lord, have your way in my life. Amen. If you're someone who's prayed that prayer for the first time, it might be that you want to talk to the person that you came with, talk to your life group leaders, you might want to talk to me at the end. But for everyone else, do you want to just stand? to do is I want to pray for us, for those of us who have known God's promises but feel like we lack faith or feel like we've given up on him. This is a moment just to come back to him, like Naomi, to come back to him. And so what I want to do, I know I need to come back to him all the time because I always mess up or there's things in my life that I don't believe or there's moments in my life where I lack faith. And so this is just an opportunity just to say, Lord God, I'm sorry for where I lack faith. Give me greater faith. And so what I want to do is just stand with our arms open wide. There's nothing particularly magical about doing this, but it's just an opportunity just to receive whatever God is going to give you this morning. I'm just going to pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I want to just pray for everyone across this room, Lord God. We are human, and so we lack in strength and energy and faith, Lord God. We trust you in your promises, but we often do that from a human perspective. And so, Lord God, we want to come to you this morning and we want to say sorry, Lord God, where we have lacked faith in you. Sorry, where we have taken your promises into our own hands and relied on our human understanding and our human strength. 
Lord God, I pray right across this room this morning that you will fill people with a fresh faith, Lord God. A faith, Lord God, that they will know that your promises are true, that you have not given up on us, that you will not fail us, that you will not let us down, Lord God. That you, Lord God, are perfect in your timing, even when we don't understand it, Lord God. And so I pray this morning, Lord God, that you will renew us, that you will restore us, Lord God. I thank you that you have redeemed us and ultimately we are children of God. And that means, Lord God, we can stand in the truth and the promises of who you are, Lord God. And so this morning I pray that as we come to worship and declare you, Lord, and declare your truth, that you will strengthen us, that you will encourage us and help change and renew our mindset to know that you are good and that your promises are always true and are never failing. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.